Joshua chapter 2, I'll begin reading at verse 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Then she let them down by a rope through the window. For her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother and your brothers and all of your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that you be present with us this morning in the proclamation of your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, open our ears and soften our hearts um, as we listen to what it is that you have to say to us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When the people of God are on the march, you best let them through. Or better yet, you should join their cause. The children of Israel are gathered on the east of the Jordan River in what is today part of the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan. They're gathered in a stretch of land that they have taken by conquest from King Sion of Ammon and King Og of Bashan. We read about those events in Numbers chapter 21. Moses had asked these kings for permission to pass through their territory since it was on the way to where the children of Israel were going. It was sort of like asking for permission to go through New Jersey because you want to get to New York. Moses promised not to bother the land or its inhabitants. But Sion and Og said no and instead sent out armies to fight the Israelites. What the two kings didn't know was that they were not fighting against flesh and blood. They were not fighting against a ragtag band of landless nomads who had only recently escaped from slavery. 
When Sion and Og sent armies against the children of Israel, they were in fact fighting against Almighty God. And they lost. Big time. They lost their armies, they lost their land, they lost their cities, and they lost their lives, all because they did not politely step aside and give God and His people the right of passage through their territory. That territory became the territory of the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, who liked the lay of the land and thought it would be a good place to graze their animals. Honestly, this land was not part of Moses' original plan. He was heading for the land west of the Jordan River. The defeat of King Sion and King Og were, you might say, collateral damage, which is a word of warning to all of us. When the people of God are on the march, you best let them through. Or better yet, you should join their cause. The craziest thing you can do is to try to block what God is doing or, heaven forbid, take up arms against the children of God. It's a dangerous business to fight against the people of God because the people of God who themselves are called to be peaceable, who themselves shouldn't ever go looking for a fight, the people of God will be defended by Almighty God. And you don't want to mess with Him. Maybe you remember what Moses said to the children of Israel after they were out of Egypt and they were starting their trek across the desert. And what should they see in the rearview mirror but an Egyptian army chasing them? An army against which they had no chance. No chance, at least in the way that the world sees these kinds of things. And with this Egyptian army bearing down on them, Moses says to the children of Israel, Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance of God that He will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. As Christians, we are not a fighting, conquering people. But we do serve a fighting and conquering God. And God is on a mission in this world, and God sends His people as a vanguard into this world to accomplish His purposes. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends the disciples out to preach in the surrounding towns and villages. The message is simple, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus says to His disciples, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Which sounds really crazy. Until you also remember that Jesus said, Behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. We have been called to be peace, peaceful, peaceable, and God fights for us as we keep the peace. He is the one who conquers every king and every power that stands in our way. Which is why it is insanity to fight against the people of God. Because anyone who fights against the people of God is picking a fight with the Almighty. You can't attack the sheep without facing the wrath of the shepherd. 
Now I'm saying this to you because there are times when you will be attacked, even when you're doing the right thing. There are times when you will be attacked even when you're not looking for a fight. There are times when you will be attacked even though your feet are walking in the paths of righteousness. Even though you're marching as best as you can in a beeline for the promised land that God has called you to. Sometimes you'll be attacked. But God will be your defender. And I'm saying that with such adamance this morning because in recent days, three separate situations have come to my attention in this congregation where individuals doing the right thing, individuals staying in their lane, individuals pursuing paths of righteousness have nevertheless come under attack. And those attacks have been alarming and they produce anxiety But in each case, God has supernaturally defended those individuals in ways that are surprising. I wish I could give you details, but confidentiality prevents that maybe one day these individuals will share their stories with you so that you can see the kind of protection the children of God enjoyed When they were marching to the promised land so long ago, that kind of protection has not stopped. God is still on his throne. God is still the good shepherd. We read this passage last week, but it's good to read it again. When Paul writes in Romans 15, 4, Whatever was written in former days was written for our, for your instruction... That through endurance and through the encouragement of the, of the scriptures, we may have hope. We have these ancient stories in the Bible, stories of God's protection and God's provision to give us hope. So that we might have the endurance that carries us through, so that we might be encouraged along the path that God has set before us. Scripture teaches us that we are to be sheep. Peaceful, obedient sheep, and that God will defend us and be our good shepherd. Don't be alarmed if an attack comes. Let God be the one who takes up the battle. Let us remain focused on the task that we've been called to. Sometimes, sometimes the evil one attacks or tempts simply because he wants to distract us from our job. I mean, if Satan can distract Christians from acting like Christians, then he's half won the battle. So let us keep our eyes on the task, even when we come under attack. Paul writes in Galatians 6, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. As we do good, let us know that God will be our defender. In a section of Romans chapter 12, which the ESV gives the title, The Marks of the True Christian, Paul writes these words. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Associate with lowly people. Never be wise in your own eyes. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. 
If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We don't go looking for a fight. We look to remain on the path that God has set out for us. That's what Moses is doing when he asked for passage through the territory of Sion and Og. And if we remain in our lane, if we do as God has called us to do, looking neither to the left or to the right, we trust that God will not only defend us from attackers who come up from behind, but also He will clear the enemies out of the path that lies ahead of us. The children of Israel have been commanded to go into the promised land. They're not there yet. They've gathered on the eastern shore of the Jordan River, but the command has come to cross over and to occupy the land. And so Joshua, the young leader of the Israelite people, now that Moses is dead, he sends in two spies into the land to map out the road ahead. He tells them, go view the land, especially Jericho. Now Jericho was a fortified city. It's only two miles across the Jordan River. It stands between the Israelites and the promised land. Jericho is a portal. It's an entryway into the promised land. And so the book of Joshua gives this particular city and its conquest more attention than it gives the many other cities that were conquered by God. Probably what happened at Jericho was not too dissimilar to what would happen later in dozens of other cities to follow. So we're going to pay close attention to how God works as we observe his conquest of Jericho. Joshua sends in two spies. And that should remind us of the previous time the children of Israel sent spies into the promised land. That happened 40 years earlier under Moses' watch. Moses doesn't just send in two spies to examine the land and its inhabitants. Moses sends 12, an investigative subcommittee, you might say. Which is why some people say that Moses was the first Presbyterian. A committee of 12 men goes in to look around. And they return to bring the report. The majority report, the report of 10 of the 12, says the people living there are powerful. The towns are large and fortified. The land we explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw are huge. We even saw giants there. And then they conclude, we cannot go up against them. They are stronger than we are. Keep in mind that God has already commanded them to go there. Keep in mind that God has already promised To bring them safely into this land. In discouraging times, the church can look around itself into the world and say, we cannot go up against them. They're stronger than we are. 
Even though the church has been commanded to go into the world, to go into the world and make disciples. And when the discouraged church thinks that he who is in the world is greater than he who is in us, when the discouraged church looks around and sees nothing but giants, they stay put. They hunker down. They gather into their own safe spaces called sanctuaries behind red doors. And they say to themselves, if those people want to come and hear the gospel, we'll let them in. But we're sure not going to go out there and tell them because that would be dangerous. Which is what the majority report of the Committee of Twelve declared. Let's just stay where we are. Sure, we're stuck in a miserable wilderness, but at least it's a wilderness we know. Why run the risk of mixing it up with giants? And when the people heard this discouraging report, fear infected them. And they revolted against Moses. They revolted against God's called leader. And so for 40 years, until all of these fearful, let's stay put people died out, the children of Israel were left in the desert. This is not a metaphor. This is a scientific analysis of the majority of churches in America today. We're hunkered down. We're afraid to go into the land that we've been called to occupy. But there were two spies amongst that dozen and they brought a minority report Caleb and Joshua and Caleb stood before the people and he said let's go at once and take the land we can certainly conquer it now because of the fear in the heart of the people because of their unwillingness to follow the leadership of Moses and to obey God they were condemned To live out the rest of their lives in a miserable, impoverished state. Hey, but at least they didn't have to take a risk. And then that generation died out. Caleb and Joshua were still alive. And then the time came to renew the march. And this time, Joshua sends just two spies, not a committee of twelve. The two spies immediately get themselves into trouble. These guys are not very heroic in this story. They're staying with a prostitute. And when the king's men come looking for them, the prostitute hides them up on her roof under a bundle of flax. And then she later helps them escape. And she provides a cover story for for the king's men, and she tells the spies what they need to do to save their own skin. This is the exact opposite of what you would see in a Hollywood action movie. These two spies are not Navy SEALs penetrating enemy territory and destroying their targets. These two spies are bumbling fools. They're hardly actors at all. They're just swept along by the situation that's beyond their control. But that's because they are not the heroes of the story. God is. They've done what they've been told to do. They've gone into the country. 
They've been obedient. Now once they've gotten there, it seems like everything's gone haywire. But in reality, God preserves them through these circumstances and conspires to bring them where they need to be. Now let's turn our attention to Rahab because she's an interesting character and her reaction to this situation is important. Rahab's a prostitute. Her house is built into the wall of the city. In fact, she has a window in her house that looks out of the wall of the city. Rahab is what literary critics call a liminal figure. She's on the border. She's on the shoreline. She lives between two worlds. Yes, she's a daughter of Jericho, but she's also an outsider, even in Jericho, because she's not married, because she sells herself day by day to make her living. The spy's initial contact with the population of Jericho is through this woman, a woman who is open to whoever knocks on her door. In every culture, there are liminal people. There are people who are on the border, on the shoreline between one world and another, and it is often those people who get the gospel first. One of the interesting results of the Syrian civil war and the rise of the Islamic State in parts of Syria and Iraq is that Syrian refugees have come into Europe and the gospel is making inroads among those people, people who are now on a border, people in an awkward position of not belonging to one world or to another. If war had not come to Syria, if these people had remained in their homeland, their chances of coming to Christ would have been nil. And as stability returns to the region, these refugees who have heard and received the gospel will return home. And they'll bring the gospel with them. Which is the way evangelism is supposed to happen. Not outsiders coming in and preaching at people, but local people sharing the good news with other local people. For this church, HVPC, to be an evangelistic church, we need to be in contact with liminal people, with people on the border, on the shoreline, people between one world and another. Now, I know that churches love to attract good, solid Christian people as new members. And when Christians move from one place to another, they do need to find a good gospel-preaching church. But a growing church is a church that has a good percentage of its people being outsiders. People who maybe weren't raised in the church. People who maybe have been alienated from the church. People who don't look like deacons and elders. People who don't use the right lingo or wear churchy clothes. The more homogenous a congregation looks, the more likely that congregation is stagnant. 
Is that clear? If you want a healthy congregation, it's going to be a mixed up place. A vital, growing, healthy congregation is much more complicated and mixed up with all kinds of different people having all kinds of different histories and religious experiences in the past. A vital, growing, healthy congregation does a good job of receiving those people and welcoming them in, of talking to people in their own language, of being open and receptive to people who are on the border, who are perhaps caught between two different worlds. Let me talk about Rahab. Rahab and her extended family... I hope I'm not giving the end of the story away to you all. You know how this comes out, right? Rahab and her extended family are the only people in Jericho who survive. Okay? And this morning, we read the deal, the contract, that she strikes with the Israeli spies. The Israelis will be true to their word, And Rahab and and everyone who gathers into her house will be saved. So what was different about Rahab from the rest of the inhabitants of Jericho? Listen to what she says to the spies. She says, I know that the Lord, and here she uses the actual name of God. She calls him Yahweh. I know that Yahweh has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all of the occupants of the land melt away before you for we have heard how the Lord Yahweh dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and to Og, whom you devoted to destruction. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. What we see is that while the Israelites have not yet met the people of Jericho, the reputation of them has preceded them. The reputation of their God has already reached Jericho. The story of the crossing of the Red Sea and the destruction of the Amorite kings was not just a legend that was told amongst the Israelite people. It was common knowledge. People in the neighborhood knew. Word had spread and people were afraid. Which is why they locked the gates. Which is why the king of Jericho went looking for the spies and tried to hunt them down outside of the city. Almighty God and His people have shown up on the horizon and the people of Jericho have to figure out what they're going to do. What Jericho faced when those spies came, every person faces. In each life, God shows up. One day, God shows up in your life. And oftentimes, He does it with a whole bunch of His people. 
What will you do? You know, of course, instinctively that when God shows up, things are going to change. That when God shows up, there's a choice to be made. Do I go with God or do I keep doing things the way I was doing before? Jericho was an ancient city. It had been there a long time. It had been worshiping other gods. It had been doing things its own way. And now Yahweh has shown up. And he says he's the only God. And he has this long list of commandments. I'm not so sure I'm on board with that. My current gods are pretty good. They don't require so much of me. Why should I listen to some God who claims to be the only act in town? And have you seen his people? Oh, have you met church people? Why would I want to hang out with them? They smell funny. They look funny. They're pompous hypocrites. When God shows up, things are going to change. And when God shows up, sometimes he comes with his people. And there's a choice to be made. Now, for reasons that are buried deep within the mystery of faith, Rahab sees the coming of Yahweh. And all of Yahweh's stinky people. And she knows somehow that He's the true God. And that there's no future for her and her family outside of him. His mighty deeds, his drying up of the Red Sea, his destroying of the Amorite kings is evidence that this is a God who is not to be trifled with. And so Rahab makes a choice and she throws her lot in with Israel. Now the other people in Jericho have also heard the stories of the people of Israel and of Yahweh and what he's done. And they make a different choice. Not everyone who sees the power of God, not everyone who has evidence of his overwhelming might responds by saying, you know what, I think I'm going to follow him. Plenty of people choose to fight against God, which of course is suicide. Lots of people encounter the living God and still revolt. In everyone's life, there comes a moment when God shows up on the horizon. And a lot of times He shows up with all of His stinky people. They come as a package. And you have to choose what you're going to do. Will you throw your lot in with him or will you fight him? The choice is ours. Let us pray. Father God, we love you and we adore you and we thank you for these ancient, ancient stories. And we thank you for Sister Rahab and we thank you for letting the Holy Spirit move in her heart. We thank you for saving her family and her life. We thank you that when She caught a glimpse of your power on the horizon. She said, I'm going with God. Lord God, we pray that when you encounter us, that we would respond submissively. That we'd be smart and not fight you. Lord, we pray that you would be 
merciful to us, that you would have patience with us. Lord, we confess that a lot of times God's stinky people are off-putting. We pray that we might graciously receive them even as we receive you. Father God, we pray for this congregation for the witness that this congregation bears in this community. Lord, I pray that we would be more outside of this church than inside. Lord, I pray that we would be concerned about lost people that we meet at work and in our neighborhoods. I pray that we would be open and receptive and welcoming toward them. And I pray that you would have your way with them. God of mercy, we ask for your mercy this day. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.